Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday morning. Let me see if I can do the Parsha today. I'm running a little bit behind, but busy week. I'm trying to get out of this pain stuff, the painkillers. I hope this will give me a full shalom. <laughs> Today's podcast, um, we're looking at Parsha Shukas, is being sponsored by the Eisenstadt, so, uh, by Akiva, Eisenstadt, Akiva and Abigail Eisenstadt. They're in the Kolel in uh, Manhattan Beach. My nephew used to go My great nephew used to go there. I'll be tight. And, um, it's very nice. He said they listen to the podcast while they're driving to and from the work. Um, and this is in memory of Yossi Eisenstadt, Ramosh Yosef Nehemia, uh, Ben Menachem Tzvi. When I see Nehemia, I know that must be, uh, I know he's a, a descendant from uh, Yosef Nehemia Kornitzer from the Krakow rope. Maybe I'll talk about him sometime. Uh, but maybe um, that's a partial by itself. Let's take a look at Parsha's Chukas, which, of course, is so unusual. This is the Parsha, of course, where you take the memory. It's like, like a senior moment. You know, you're you're talking, you're talking, and all of a sudden you're 40 years later. As we all know, as I say it every year, you do Parsha's Chukas, uh, you take a leap in chronology. I don't know if you realize this, but um, when you look at um, the chronology, of the Exodus story, so basically, from the beginning of Shmos, you have a continuous story. Um, the Jews are enslaved in Egypt, and eventually, Moshe Rabbeinu, ten plagues take them out, and they leave on Pesach. So far, so good. And then, to the end of Shmos, takes you through the story of the uh, golden calf and the aftermath. And so, to make a long story short, they go from Egypt to Harsinai, and then a hundred. Uh, uh, 40, 44, 120 days to Yom Kippur when they finally get the second Luchos. So in other words, they get the Luchos Neos uh, about six months almost after they leave Egypt, right? Then starts the business with the uh, Mishkan. So remember, they're at Mount Sinai the whole time. The whole time in Shemos, they're in Har Sinai and they're building the Mishkan at the foot of Sinai. And uh, by Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they erect the Mishkan. So in other words, they erect the Mishkan not quite, almost a year after they leave the Egypt. So far, so good. No, this is a continuous narrative. Right? Then you get Vayikra and Shmini and all that. Knows the whole book of Vayikra takes place at that time um, at the foot of Sinai. They're still there. It takes you to the end of Vayikra. Then you come by Midbar. And Bamidbar Midbar, tells you some general rules about counting and levies and flags and stuff like that. And only when you get to Baloscha do they actually start to move, okay? Um, and then they move fast uh, because they march to, uh, and I mentioned this in previous weeks, they march to the Negev Desert. They march to, to not far from Beersheba, as far as I can tell, Midbar Paran, you know, which is, uh, I would say, the northern Negev, certainly not the southern Negev. And um, then they sent the spies, and that's a screw-up. So we all know the spies takes place on Tisha B'av, that's one of the things of Tisha B'av. So that means 
it's the Tishabov of the second year, meaning the spy incident, the Miraglim, happened about a year and six months after they leave Egypt. Agreed? You know, five months. From Pesach, from the first anniversary of Pesach, till Tishabov, it's another five months. So, so far, it's a pretty constrained time frame. All this stuff in Shmos Vayikra and Bamidbar, Nosav Aloscha, and Shlach is happening in a pretty tight time frame. And then you have, of course, uh, the Korach story. It's not 100% clear when the Korach happens, but let's just spot it and say Korach happens after the Meraglim. So, you know, if the Meraglim took place in Tishabov, let's say Korach took place in, in Elul, something like that. Something like that. And that brings us up to our Parsha today, to Chukas. So we're only a year and a half, at the most, after the exodus from Egypt. And then you have this Paraduma business, which is obviously out of order because they say the Par was back at before the Ten Commandments. Paraduma had to be, if they're talking in Baikra about purification and things like that, had to be some uh, agent of purification, had to be the Paraduma. And um, then, how could they do Karm Pesach, you know, Pesach Shani and all that? Uh, and then, all of a sudden, you leap. And it's the 40th year. And Miriam dies. And things start to unravel. And that's the big theme of the Parsha now. The unraveling of the, to my mind, anyway, <clears throat> the unraveling of the of the leadership team. Because you see, Moshe Rabbeinu was a pretty high-strung person. And it bothered him when people complained. And many times he went to Hashem and said, I can't take it anymore. And Hashem always tells him, keep it going, keep it going. We'll get you helpers and all the rest of it. But already at the very, very beginning of the burning bush, Hashem said, I'm going to get you Aaron to help you. So Moshe couldn't have done it on his own. Now he, you know, physically could have done it on his own. And as far as miracles, he could do anything on his own. But you see, psychologically, you needed Aaron. It's just very interesting to me, right? Just very interesting. Aaron will be your, your nobi. Aaron will be your helper. So Moshe goes to Egypt. Again, I don't think it's because he's afraid of Pharaoh. He wasn't that type of guy. It just, you know, it's a high strung. You know, Moshe, Moshe is on me, call on me. It's, it's a funny individual to be the leader. But Hashem handpicked him and recruited him. <laughs> and wouldn't take no for an answer, as we know by the burning bush. <laughs> and so let it be. And it turns out that there was a, a, a three-part, a triumvirate, three-part group that ran the show for 40 years. It's Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. Maybe even in this Haftorah, possibly, there's a passage in the Navi which says, I, I sent you Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, and, and it says, you know, Moshe did this, and Aaron did that, and Miriam would talk to, talk to women, so Moshe couldn't handle the whole system by himself. Uh, he needed the help. And in this week's parasha, when the two props die, first Miriam and then Aaron, uh, then things will start to fall apart, as we know. And for the rest of the book, we have Moshe has a serious leadership problems, as a Bullock and Pinchas and all that sort of thing. And it's what it is, you know? So in other words, we just leaped from a year and a half after the exodus of Egypt to... 38 years later, to the 40th year, not far from the death of Moses. If our parsha jumps immediately to um, the death of Miriam, so in other words, it skips the years of wandering in the desert. Last time we looked, the Jews, as I said, were near Israel, up in the northern Negev, and then God says, turn around and go south, towards a lot direction. Penu Derech Yamsuf, or something like that. And so they go in the other direction. According to the Mesorah, they spent 38 years, 19 wandering and 19 in one place. 
That's what a Seder Olam says. Okay, fine. So, uh, that was a bummer. But Moshe, at least he had the leadership team. Uh, Moshe can't function without the leadership team. This is the meaning why in Balosha, when Aaron and Miriam talk against him, Moshe prays for them. You know, El You think, oh, Moshe is a nice brother, a goody two-shoes and all the rest of it. He might have been. You know, I'm not saying he was a bad brother. I'm sure he was a good brother. Seriously. But it's also, he tells Hashem, I need her. I need them. I can't operate without them. You get it? El you want me? You got. I need my assistance. I need Miriam to handle the women. I have enough trouble with the men, right? Miriam, I'm able to delegate. She handles all the women stuff. Obviously, the women have special needs, special shyness, special this, that, the other. Miriam is the one who did it. I'm serious. Arab handled his side of the business aside from the Mishkan stuff. I don't think that was what he needed Aaron for so much. I think he needed him for the uh, human being stuff. You know. We all know Aaron was a marriage counselor and this and that. Even if I dream Moshe Rabbeinu, he's got enough trouble in his head all day long. And you're going to do also marriage counseling, you know, couples counseling, discounseling, parents and children. You know, it will drive him crazy. It'll crush him. As Moshe said, Did I give birth to these children? I have to treat them all like children. I can't stand this babyish stuff. I can't handle the babyish, the whining. They don't like the food. They don't like this. A, you know, this is too hot, this is too cold. Moshe can't take that. But he was able to delegate that to Aaron. <laughs> you get it? If you have a problem about this, then talk to Aaron. And as you know, Aaron was a people person, he could handle that sort of thing. Which is famously, everybody knows the word. It says, when Aaron died, we who cold base is wrong. Because, you know, they, they, they needed that. But now, uh, according to Masora, I believe Miriam died... In the beginning of Tishrei, is that it? Or something like that? You know, if you look in the, in the Shulchan Aruch, I don't want to open it up again. Uh, in Tuf Kof Pei, it tells you, you know, the anniversary of Miriam's death. Uh, uh, when was it? Sivan, whatever. Oh, an Av. It was an Av. And so she dies then. That's uh, not long after, you know. I mean, what I'm trying to say is like this. So the story begins in Av, and Moshe is dead in Ador. So for the rest of the book is a couple of months relatively speaking. You follow what I'm saying? The story doesn't pick up in the 40th year of the life of Moses. That would be Zion Adar of the 40th year. No, it's a, it's it's already jumps ahead of six months. So we're already talking about the death of Miriam. That's how the story picks up. And pretty soon Aaron will die, I believe, in Tishrei. And, uh, excuse me, and, uh, and then a few months later, Moses is dead. So we have a very narrow chronological framework for all the other stories that's going to happen from the time you get to Shani or Shlisha, wherever it is in Pashat to the end of the narrative of the Chumash. It's just, just very interesting, including the whole speech of Moshe, which will take up much of the Book of Dvarim, as we know. So the Torah is written in a very funny kind of way. You use American history example. It's like I have a whole arichas about George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, a whole long arichas about that. And then you skip over to, I don't know, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, not even that, you know. You skip like to uh, face Obama, and you know, you do Obama and Trump and and, and Biden. You know, like you skipped all the stuff in the middle. So clearly, the Chumash is not written as a typical history book to give you chronological uh, order of events. It's roughly chronological and it covers a few events, but really, you know, it's it has other agenda. You get it? It has to have other agenda because the way it's written in terms of what it chooses to. Uh, foreground and what it chooses not to is strange. 
from a perspective of someone who wants to write a chronicle, a history of what happened. That's why you have all these midrashim try to fill in all the, uh, you know, all the blanks. Get it? There's a lot of blanks in the Chumash narrative. Now, um, as I said, Miriam dies, and a crisis envelops. Because it says when Miriam died, there was no water. Which leads everyone to say, no, so she must have been the cause of the water. Uh, what does Miriam have to do with the water? That's the source of the concept of a bear Miriam. It's not me. The Gemara says this, right? In Tinus, wherever it is. You know, and then that's how they deduce it. It said Miriam died and then there was no water. Shema, you know, Miriam was the cause of the water. What water? <clears throat> so now we raise, as I said before, an interesting thing in the gap. Uh, the Torah, as I just said before, is not really a history book. And in many cases, it tells you bare essentials and leaves the rest out. We know that there was a problem of food for three million people in the desert. For some reason, the Torah takes the trouble to tell you about that. That's called a mon. It's called a quail. We find the people complaining about food and this and that and the other. So they tell you about this. Let's just use mon. So the mon, so to speak, is a miracle. So that takes care of the food side. Get it? That takes care of the food side. Whether they like the mon or not is a separate question. But at least you're not going to starve. It's like Israel during the Senna back in the early 50s. Uh, they had chatzilim. They had nothing but chatzilim. But okay, you can go crazy from eating chatzilim day and night and bread. But, you know, you're not going to starve. Okay? In the concentration camp, people starve. You won't starve. But the Torah doesn't ever tell you about the water side. Am I right about that? I believe so. You know, it goes through Shmos and Ah and Vayikra. They don't tell you about the water. So it begs the question, where the heck did they get the water? You have three million people in the desert. Uh, why doesn't it tell you that every day between five and eight, it rained buckets and therefore that's, a, and everybody had cisterns and big pots and that supplied the water every day. That, that's what happened with the, with the food. Every day it rained food, right? Literally, it rained food and then, and they, for so and so many hours and then they had the food and that's how they survived. So it should be the same thing over here. But it never tells you that in the Chumash. So that leaves a hole in the narrative. They had to have water it couldn't survive. Right? Uh, they, they talk about going one place to the oasis back there, you know, wherever it was. Alib and so forth, Sheba and tomorrow. But, you know, generally speaking, when you march around, what do you do for the water? So the answer must be the miraculous source of the water. Where, where do you get the miraculous source of water? Huh? I don't know. That's where you come with the Bear Miriam. Since it's so unclear, I mean, I know the Bear Miriam like YouTube, I'm just saying, since it's unclear, so it's never clear what exactly does that mean. The air Miriam means a well. I mean, a well is like in the ground, you know? So, uh, how could a well go and travel with them? You know what I mean? A well's a hole in the ground. A hole in the ground doesn't travel. And it's interesting, as we all know, that as soon as Miriam dies, the people freak out and they say, we have no water. Vayorev may Mariva, Mayorev Moshe. Vayorev is the word reeve. That's, that's a strong Russian. It's not just complaining. It doesn't seem to slow in him. That's the usual borching that the Jews always do. Vayorev means they like went to a war, you know. Loma son me Mitzrayim. We're going to kill you. And Moshe panics. And uh, Aaron, and they run to the Uh That's the Russian over there, isn't that right? It's in Vayorev. Whatever language is, you know. They run to Pesach Almoid. Vayorev Kodesh Amal Almoid. 
And then famously, God tells him, uh, speak to a rock. And as we know, he hits it. Uh, what rock? Right? What rock? I remember Ari Kaplan says a cliff. Speak to a cliff? So was that to Bayer Miriam? Uh, a cliff doesn't travel with you. Cliff's part of a mountain. Or is it a rock? And Ari Kaplan's just wrong. You know, it was a rock. So was it, what's the shot? Is it the rock? Did they transport it? Did it roll by itself? What exactly has happened over here? I'm just trying to show you that the language is, is, is very strange, very unclear, at least to me. And um, on the other hand, there had to be an answer for the supply of water. Uh, I'll go even farther. I remember they said at Mount Sinai, uh, and all the rest of it, you know, you should all, the women should go to the mikvah, the men should uh, wash the clothes. Where? There's no water over there. And I remember somebody said the Be'er Miriam supplied the water. I hope it means, I mean, that they didn't all go and title in the Be'er. Oh boy, <laughs> that'd be like the Philippine. That's like the mikvah after the Holy Shiva's been there, you know. Whoa. Uh, so I can only surmise it means that it was just endless supply of all the water you need. And then they somehow or other put that in, and turned it into a mikvah. It's a, it's, it's a nice set of shilas. If you want to be Abishas, you know, and ask the halachic thing, how would you get a mikvah out of the bare Miriam in order for people to in and wash their clothes and all the other sorts of things? You end up with Shuvin. Who is it? The sheet of the riff, you know. You can have the whole thing from from Shuvin if they were did Hamshacha. Oh boy, you can have a lot of fun with that. The point is, it's an unclear story. Now, as we all know, Moshe speaks to the rock. He says Shimon Amorim and all that sort of thing. No, he doesn't speak. He hits the rock, and then afterward, God says, uh, "You're not going to Israel." Yan lo Israel. Something along those lines. So that's the sin of Moses, but nobody knows exactly what it is. Don't say, is the Yan lo Hemantabi, you didn't believe me, to make a Kedish Hashem. You failed to make the Kedish Hashem. All right? Uh, so he said he hit it, he spoke to it, it is this, that, and the other, Ram said. So I see the Orhachayim, right? The Orhama Kadosh. Very interesting. For some reason, totally right. I just opened the Kumash now. All right? The art school makes Kadosh. You know me. I like the Nakudos. And um, he, apparently he goes to town. He must be, for some reason, he got really wrapped up into all this. I'm talking about Chaim. And he says, you know, I want to get into what exactly was the sin of Moses. Uh, the Abarbanel preceded him. But I see, it looks to me like Chaim might have done it a little bit better. It says, Parsha zu rabo aleha mafarsha Torah. What exactly, you know, you know what that means. All the Farshim get into this. And I want to go and find out what's the shot. And before we figure out what these suka mean with the talking to the rock and hitting the rock and so forth. What exactly was the show gig that Moshe did? What did he do wrong? Which resulted in this terrible gazer on him. And there are ten approaches among the Mepharshim. He says, and I'll give it to you short. So I'm sharing with you, if you take a look this week in the Rakhim over here, he gives you a nice summary of all the scholarship up to his time on what the sin of Moses was. Rashi Pirish, Shashigas Moshe Dabru Rashi says, instead of talking stone, he hit it. Ibn Ezra Pirish, what he called, Ibn Ezra says he hit it twice. 
he should only hit it once. Right? It sounds like he would have hit it once, would be okay. Um, and he didn't say Shiro. He should have said Shiro, like he did by, uh, you know, Ali Bear or Hazyosher. He also says, Deben Ezra, that he should have uh, cussed out the Jews. He lost his temper. The Rambam in the morning and Shimon Brachim says the same thing. His ragi is Allah Edo, right? And uh, he got angry and then made people think that God was angry at them. Rabbeinu Hananel and the Ramban, he says, say, uh, instead of Yosel So basically, Notzil means like me, uh, me, Moshe, and Aaron, and maybe, you know, or together with God, we're going to bring the water out. And it should have said, God is going to bring the water out. That's the Hagdi Shani. That's the Ramban Rabbeinu Hanano. Rab Moshe HaKohen Pirish. Right? Do you really think from this rock is going to come out? Could be read as a rhetorical question. Right? And it sounds like, do you really think from this rock could come out water? Why? You don't think Hashem could do it? Yosef Albo in the Sefer Ikrim in the Middle Ages says, Um, Moshe and I should have Done this on their own without God commanding him. Right? Shalom is over. Moshe and Meatsman Lohotilam Mayim. Hayumar Edim. Right? They themselves were scared. And other people said, What are we going to do? We're going to, we'll, we'll starve to death. We'll die of thirst. And Moshe freaked out. And for freaking out, that was the sin. Balmaisa Hashem. That's Rebelezer Ashkenazi. Pir Shayu Bikuach Me Moshe Me Yisrael. There was a Bikuach going on, a debate. She Yisrael Hayurotsan Lohim Mayim Mimokam Achir Shachavro Ososham. That's apparently the Jews dug a well somewhere to get water. And Moshe didn't want to talk to that well that they dug. Right? That's <laughs> quite a scenario. The Mayan was a big person. Uh, he says that shot with the, with the, there's A and B. There's Sell a and sell a B, or if you wish, a hole in the ground A and hole in the ground B. And the people dug one, and they said to Moshe, "Do your thing and make water come out of here." Moshe says, "That's not the one to do." And Moshe got angry, and in in his fit of anger, he threw his stick. And it banged against a rock, and, and water came out. So the whole thing wasn't done in the right way. That's a highly suggestive scenario. Uh, and anyway, that's the tent that he brings. Right? And, you know, all, and the Orachim says, I don't like any of these. And he goes in detail. Like I said before, if this is a subject that interests you, this Shabbos you want to pull out and read in closely the Orachim, because he discusses and is misvakeach with each of the ten opinions, um, and, and goes after him, and it'll provide you just a very interesting kind of background. The Abarbanel, as always, more or less does the same thing. And again, in other words, let's put it this way. I'm not giving a class here. If 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 this was a lecture or a, or a shear, and we were studying the subject of the sin of Moshe, you know, then you know, in 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 a in a school class, in a seminary class, in a shul class, then you would indeed, you know, go with the students all through this archive and through this Abarbanel. okay? And he is as a four. They they they're weighing together and critiquing all the different opinions 
which ones sound well, which ones sound not well. Dabarbanel is always is really great on the on his uh, analysis of the Ramban. Just just take too long to to go into, and you see people re- really preoccupied with this. Uh, whenever it comes to this uh, parsha of the sin of Moses, uh, I always pull out the Shadal. I must have done it last year. Shadal was a Shmuel double Lusatu who lived in the early 1800s in Padua in Italy. And he was a Mr. Tanakh, a Mr. Uh, Bible Studies. Uh, he was a Moscow, but a from one, but in a weird way. If you ever see a picture of me done of a yarmulke in Italy, they know where yarmulkes like Leona Modena. He's from that type. And he was one of the leaders of the Haskalah, but I would call the religious side. And I see now that there's like a, if, if I understand the way things are going, and in my Orthodox world, I think there's like a Shadal revival going on. It seems to me. Which I find interesting. You know, in the YU circles or whatever, Teenek. I'm serious. Because, in other words, he's a very serious start, student of the Torah Shabbat I find his opinions a little bit weird. But, you know, he was a great man. And uh, definitely unusual guy. Very unusual guy. He had a seminary. Maybe they had five students. Uh, but it doesn't matter. And... Um, he has this famous Pirish Chomishtadel on the Tanakh. And to my mind, the most famous passage, he's very rich. If you want to know what Lush and Kodesh means, he's very good. He says, Yan lo amantabi, Moshe Rabbeinu chota chet echad. Moshe did one sin. Hamafarshim hemiso love shlosho sercha toim biyose. And the Mepharshim piled on the back of this poor guy Moses, 13 sins. Why? Because we don't know what the sin is, and each guy comes up with a different one. And then you sit back and say, oh, Taka, you know, <laughs> Moshe did that wrong too. And he did that wrong too. Uh, each Mepharish invents a new sin through analysis. Because that Abarbanel brings 10 opinions. And then he brings an 11th, his own. That's the Rashbats. Ramba Maman, that's Mendelssohn, Oda Cheres, Bulai O Tamaderos Acheres Nichtabu. And there might be some, Anili, he says, I'm not the world's expert in this. Maybe there's some of Farshim or sources that came up with other opinions of what the sin of Moshe was. Asher Al Kain, call your mind, Nimnati Mehamik Hakir Badabrazet. And it all therefore says, all, all my life I always refrain from studying very closely this Parsha, because of Meira, because I was, I was afraid. Afraid if I study this parsha closely, I might come up with a new insight on what the sin of Moshe was that nobody else thought of. And I might invent a new sin with which to punish the reputation of poor Moses. <laughs> which is a great line, right? So we don't know. We don't know. Okay? What we do know is that the whole thing unravels. And it's remarkable because here is Moshe was leading the whole show, and then the sister dies, and then things fall apart. And the Lashon is right. Uh, look how it says it. It says, "Vayavo bnei Yisrael kamid b'tzim b'chodesh arishon, v'atamah shamirim v'ategaveresham." Okay, uh, so Miriam dies. So since she died, there was no water. So a panic hit. V'yikolam Moshe b'aron v'yorev ha'am imosha. They came with a reeve, right? No, they came with, with, with prepared for battle, not just uh, uh, complaints. And they said something strange. Lugavanu, 
we wish we, we, we wish would have died like our brothers Lifni Hashem. I don't even myself know what Lifni Hashem is. Just now for the heck of it, I did a quick survey of Mefarshim a few minutes ago before I started this. I don't know what they mean, Lifni Hashem. It's, a, it's an interesting language. Uh, maybe he means we should have died like the Korach group, you know, where the, 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 the fire came down or something like that. Point being, they had a quick death, okay? Because we are going to die from thirst. And that's a terrible death. That's what it sounds like. What a bummer. Here's a guy that's led them for 40 years, right? 39 years. And they had water all the time and food all the time. And then now, you know, all of a sudden there's a shortage of food and it's all your fault. Which, by the way, means that when Miriam dies, Moshe doesn't stand up and say, okay, here's the plan. Okay? Here's the plan. Until now, Miriam provided the, the well and her zechuz or whatever it is, and now I, I intend to do the following. That's what Moshe should have done, right? I mean, you think. I'm just saying a simple basics of leadership would say, don't be surprised if people are now going to go and wonder where the, where the water is coming from. Until now, they knew where the water is coming from every day. Now they don't. If the water, it's at if the if the air stopped or whatever it happened, then you know you'd think the leader like Moshe, see see he kind of you know was emotional, he was overwhelmed by the by the sister's death. That's it seems to me, and therefore they say There's no food here. There's no there's no um, you know rimonim or things like that. Basically, if we were in an area with vegetables with fruits, I mean they could get the water from the fruits and the vegetables. You know you can live like that. But there isn't any. It's a desert. And what did Moshe do? Vayava Moshe v'aron mitnei They ran mitnei hakol. No, they ran away from the people. Right? The Ibn Ezra says, Kedemus Borchem. They fled. So now they went to a panic. Okay? Vayipla pneim. In the Pesach Lomain, Vayir Kvod Hashem Aleyhem. So they basically said, to God save us. The people are going to kill us. That's what it sounds like. They're in such a mood. We all know a mob is very dangerous. Uh, a whole bunch of people can turn into a mob. You have 600,000 men, if not more. Mind you, um, are this, are the, is this after the death of um, the last of the Dora Midbar? It's around that time, okay? It's around that time. So the point is, um, you know, uh, let's put it this way. That gener- We're dealing with the younger generation now. So you think that they would know better. Uh, but no, and Hashem says, and so on and so forth. Speak to the rock. And, you know, Moshe, like I said before, is obviously upset. He is from death of Miriam, and the whole incident is a very upsetting one. Uh, see, some people will, will build a Moses who's like, you know, automaton. No emotions. You know, just follow whatever Hashem said. And that Moshe was, we see over and over again in Chumash. You know, Moshe had his, uh, his emotions. Uh, and Vahishki says, and Moshe takes, right? He takes the mata, which is an interesting expression. Why do you say, and then, uh, and then he gets everybody together, and as we all know, he hits the rock, and so forth, and so on. Okay? Um, now, what exactly is this fair uh, meme? What I mean to say is as follows. At this place, water gushed out. Okay, fine. But then what happened? The Chumash doesn't tell you. 
You see what I'm saying? It's funny narrative. Because where is this happening? Where Miriam died, they're still like, you know, somewhere in the southern, approximately the area of Eilat, in that general area. Uh, so they got a long way to go to get to Israel. And in this parsha, they're going, in Chukas, they're going to start to march north, which is why they're going to have to circumvent Edom. You know the story. It says in this parsha, and Moshe will tell the king of Edom to last through, and the king of Edom will say no, and he's going to have to go around. Okay? And Moshe says there, we'll, we'll buy water. You know, Ocho Balechem, Mayim, you know, Tim Corley, whatever the language is, Ocho Bakesev, something, you know, I will go and buy, we'll pay for the water and the food. We won't steal anything. So, water they'll need. <coughs> food they'll need. Why didn't Moshe say, we'll march through your land and we're not going to take anything? Because, thank you very much, we don't need your food, we get the mon. And, thank you very much, we don't need your water, we get the bear. But he doesn't say that. Now, you could always answer me. Moshe is trying to make an economic incentive. We don't need it, but we'll buy it anyway. You see? No, we will spend money here. Nobody likes it if somebody passes through. <laughs> Imagine when you go through the old city, you know, to, to the hotel, and you pass by all these guys with the stalls and the things. And no, I don't want to buy anything. It drives them crazy, right? Uh, so much of the world will spend the money. So forget that. But they're far away from Israel, a, cu- a couple million people. Uh, here he hit the rock or the cliff, and here the water came out because God told him. But how did it proceed afterwards? So they never tell you. So because they don't tell you, so you're forced to come up like the Chazal say, so well, the Bayer Miriam revived now. The Schuss and Moshe Had to be, or something like that, right? Otherwise, here there was water, but where do you go to the next place that they march to? Unless you tell me each time Moshe's going to have to go, and each time talk to another rock in the vicinity. You get it? Uh, and we're not told this anywhere. It sounds like it's a one-time deal. So, do you, you get what I'm saying? So knows, what's the story with the water supply? Okay. So, I'll tell you what's interesting to me. Uh, we, what exactly is the Bayer Miriam? There's an interesting morale. Um, in not where you think. Uh, do you know where you find a lot of commentaries on the Bayer of Miriam? In the Pirkei Because it says over there, you know, in the fifth paragraph of the Pirkei it says one of the miracles that the Bayer Miriam, you know, the Bayer. Pia Bayer. Because, uh, what does the mission say over there? Ten things are created before sundown, right, of the first week. Which is a philosophical way of saying that the mirror Asar Devarib Nivru Be'er Shabbos Benashmoshes. In the seven days of creation in Bracious, there were ten miraculous things that were created already to be deployed later in history at the right moment. This would be like a philosophical shot, this Mishnah, that uh, the miracles are already built into the Bria. So don't think that God changed the order of um, nature, but it was already built in the from the Sheshit Shmei Abreshis. Some of you may not want to know what I'm talking about, others will. Um, I'm actually going to be speaking about this soon. I should do a advertisement for this, I hope, next week or whenever it is, end of June, to start a six-part series, as I do every year, try in the three weeks, you know, in the three weeks after uh, Shavas Abatamas, one of the Maimonidean controversies of the Middle Ages, and that had to do with the idea of philosophy and how you interpret the Bible uh, through rationalistic uh, lenses. And in Middle Ages, from a scientific and Aristotelian point of view, 
used to have a problem with the idea that God just can go and uh, uh, interfere with nature, stop and develop her on without having any consequences. Now, a regular believer will say, God can do whatever he wants. And, you know, if God is all-powerful, okay, he can. So on the other hand, it freaks a normal person out to say that Joshua made the sun stand still. Really? Then why did the whole earth go, universe go crashing? And how does it affect time to the rest of time? You see what I'm saying? You know, when you think of the consequences of all this kind of stuff. So one way of getting around this is to say that these things were already built in L'Chadchilo. And it says, And one of them is Piyaris, and one is Piyah Be'er. Piyah Be'er, the mouth of the Be'er. Now what does that mean? So Rashi says, Piyah Be'er Shemiriam. So what that means is Piyabir means the mouth of the well, but it turns out it wasn't a well in the typical sense. Okay? But rather it was a cellar. It was a rock. And this rock was transported or rolled by itself or whatever. Uh, let's do Pashup Shot. Let's say they, they had a certain rock and they transported it with a magic rock. And when they would stop at a certain place and need the water... The, the 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 rock the mouth a hole would open up into it to use modern language a hole would open in the rock and out would come endless water uh, it's a, a sort of a, a variation on the Elio and Navi stories and the Elisha stories where from the little glass jar came a lot of oil and stuff like that here from a little rock came a belt of water okay and, that, and, and you know that would be like an end basically an endless water fountain okay uh, constantly gushing or something like that. And when Moshe would strike the, 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 the rock, Okay? It would open his mouth. It's a little bit funny, because it sounds like Moshe had to hit it. Is he talking about the rock in our parsha? Then it's not the bear, so Miriam? I don't know. It's a little bit weird. But leaving that aside, so there's a long... so. Many commentaries on the uh, Pirkei Abbas. I don't have time to go through all that. Um, but uh, there's a long uh, uh, morale. You know, Derek Achaim, as his commentary on Pirkei Abbas, which the historians are into, because here he has a big polemic with the Maise Hashem. These two guys that hate each other, two big rabbis in the 1500s who disagreed strongly. As he says, we are Shamati, Shai Ishech, Barrett's Poland. A certain rabbi read my stuff in Gurus Hashem. Also, for the rabbi Moparbi Blichok, he assembled a public uh, uh, gathering and claimed that I, the Maharal, was a Kaifer. Right? Imagine that. He said, I said unfirm things. And he was stupid. And he took advantage of the fact that people in our generation are dumbbells in Racham and they read books that are not from Karim Bisform Shin Rukhacham Nochimeno Himanashlishis. Oh boy, it's a whole a whole big business. And it had to do with philosophical questions. Uh calls it Hirashalai Shamarti ki ain hayidiyat muso humipuloso. What is the nature of God's knowledge? That's a philosophical question. Right? What is the nature of God's knowledge? As the Ramam discussed in Hilkazdeus. You know, God's knowledge cannot be like our knowledge because our knowledge is separate from us. There's me, David Katz, and then there's my brain, my 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 intellect. Uh, God doesn't have anything outside of Himself. You know, so without getting into all that, 
Um, it's famous in the history. You know, historians know about this. There's a French guy, Andre Nair, wrote a whole book on this in French. Anyway, uh, what do you call it? To get to the chase that we're talking about, the morale, if you read towards the end of this passage, that would be in Perik HaMishi Mishnah Vav, in the Perik Yavis. He says, So Maral says that we're talking about this um, rock, and like I said before, water used to gush from it. But Ogohava come in Kavara, and it was round. And would roll along on its own as he wandered through the desert. And um and this and it would stop and water would come out. It's a little bit too magical. The ain't nearly Rashi Shasilaholigmaskalgumim. I don't think Rashi means and sometimes the morale is is this kind of somewhat rationalistic commentator. Shasilahoyaholikumaskalgumim. I don't think it means that the rock literally rolled along with them in the desert. Why don't you say that that itself is a, a gvaltic miracle, that a rock detached from the ground, water came out of it. And it doesn't ever say that. If you're really talking about the fact that there was, like I just said before, there was a rock that rolled around, a, a boulder, let's say, and whenever the boulder would stop, and they needed it, you know, like in, in a science fiction movie, a hole would develop like a mouth, and out of it would start coming gushing water. Why does it never say that? Right? Uh, it doesn't say the air was the miracle, it says the pia air was the miracle. So Moral suggests So, if I understand this correctly, it's Mam Shemuna. Wherever they stopped, a hole would open in the ground. In other words, they would find a bear, and that bear would be able to supply three million people. You get it? A bear would appear. No, they would come to a spot and they would find a big well, which is not ordinarily true in the desert. And this bear, this hole in the ground, would have a path. She eats her mind So in other words, they kind of like it would appear, it would appear and reappear and reappear a a well. And so it would mean that when Miriam died, um, you know, the the well disappeared or something like that, or or stopped. Uh, and if Moshe hit it or something like that, uh, I don't know if it was a uh, a rock exactly or not. Is it confusing? Um, take a look at this uh, morale. And, uh, oh, it's already 40 minutes. You see the general idea, right? That the Bear Miriam is a, is a, is a difficult parsha, uh, let alone in the conceptual sense, you know, why Miriam and all that. The parsha shot with that is that Miriam waited in the in the water for baby Moses, you know. This is how they usually explain it. But um, we're dealing with, a, with, with a, a very broad episode. And we see over here Moshe couldn't handle it without his sister, and then brother dies also, and then Moshe really has leadership problems, as we know in the story of Bullock and Bilam and the Benos Mov and all the rest of it. And it's a very interesting story. You see, to my mind, there's a lot more to talk about in this part. So I'll just confine my remarks to this because it's already late. To my mind, it shows you Moshe um, was a great man, the greatest, 
but he needed a team. You understand? He needed his brother and sister. And for 40 years, that's how they managed it. They didn't have it push it even with that. They need brother and sister. When he lost a brother and a sister, it was hard for him. You understand? No, he, 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 he was out of the framework, and, uh, and then it got tough. Right? Then it got tough. And his authority suffered as a result of that. That's why Zimri bin Solo could speak back to him, and so on and so forth. And that's why, you know, all kind of bad things could happen. And uh, it ends up, if you go like the Chazal, that he ends up being buried more based poor because of this whole business. And so you see, as I said before, to my mind, the most interesting insight is that when he prays that that we should all wait for Miriam to be to recover from her leprosy, and you know, um, have pity on her, even though she spoke against him, Moshe Rabbeinu was basically making the following argument: I need her; I can't do without her. You understand? So it's not simply I love my sister, and I'm sure he did. You know, really, really, I'm sure he did. But it's also true. He says. My, op- you know, I have a, a a leadership operation set up. I have a chief of staff. I have an assistant for this. I have an assistant for that. Moshe needs his team, and Miriam and I were were were, were vital members of the team. And when he didn't have them anymore, then it got real hard to operate. So there's a lot more to talk about with the King of Edom, but uh, I think it's gone long enough. Once again, and I think the human element, sometimes, at least to my mind, the psychological element is often the most interesting aspect of the stories that we're told in the Chumash, uh, because there's not a lot we're told, and you have to deduce out of it. And uh, if you see here, in this parsha, you know, how, how Moshe relied, uh, one being, his, you know, on Moshe Iron Mim, this, this triumvirate, one is his right hand, one is his left hand, and there's nobody steps forward to really replace. For Moshe Rabbeinu, the brother and the sister were Mamash irreplaceable. Anyway, with that, I wish you a good job. Thank you, guys, and stuff once again. Uh, for the lecture, I mean for the sponsorship and with that I wish you a good week For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com